November 2nd, 2022. Let's continue in the Morev. We're up to Perek Bet. We began it last week. And for our purposes, we'll begin at the very beginning and we'll treat this Perek somewhat disjointed from the first uh, with regards to um, understanding it, reading it, and uh, developing its, uh, its meaning. Says, says uh, Harambam at the very onset, again, we're using this translation specifically, although you could follow with another, it just won't be exactly the same words, the Schwartz edition. You could follow with Katbach, you could follow with any of the translations, or even in English, you're going to be getting, if it's a good translation, of course, the same, uh, if it's done properly, you're going to be getting the same thing, just in a different language with nuanced differences in the words. Any translation is always significant, but to the best of my knowledge, this is, and with regards to my comfort, the best. Says Harambam, Ish milumad, a knowledgeable person, There was a knowledgeable person, who many years ago asked me a, uh, a wondrous question, quite a, a, a good question. It says, It's important to look into this matter and listen to the question and in turn pay attention to the answer that I gave to it. Interestingly, Harambam says, before giving the question and its answer, for all intents and purposes, I'm telling you, I'll give you the answer. You just want to understand it's the answer. It's, a, it's, it's quite, a, uh, quite a, a writing technique. He begins as if he's giving you a side point that'll help you in the answer. It is the key to the answer. But anyway, not philosophically, but technically, Any person who speaks Hebrew properly, biblical Hebrew, and is fluent in it, is familiar with the fact that the word Elohim is mishutaf. It's a word that's equivocal that can be used based on context in many different ways. It can be used as Eloah. It can be used as divinity, referring to God. It can be used with regards to uh, angels, lemalachim, lamoshilim, manigam medinot. It can be used with regards to important and strong figures at the head of uh, countries. Uh, you have in the Torah and Parashat Mishpatim, ad ha Elohim yavod devar shenehem. They'll go to the Elohim. Over there, you're not talking about angels, nor about uh, God, you're referring to the Beit Din. It is true, the Midrash suggests it's because Elohim Nisav Ba'atateel Bekerev Elohim Nishpot, God's presence is in the Mikdash, but in the simple sense, Elohim denotes strength. Alim means strong. And as a result, when you're talking about strong individuals, uh, beings that are out of our uh, purview of vision and understanding, uh, in those circumstances you're going to be referring to Elohim. It's a word that can be used depending on context in several different ways. Continues Arambam, says, says, <laughs> He quotes from Unculus that in the words of the Nahash Tehava, which this page is here if you need, uh, the words of the Nahash Tehava, when he says, Ki Elohim, because God knows, Ki on the day that you're going to eat from Etzadat, Vitem Kelohim, you're going to be like Elohim, says Unculus. You want to know what the translation of the word Elohim over there is? It's Ravrevaya. Ravrevaya means important people, means strong people. As a result, suggests uh, Harambam, the word Elohim in the Torah as well, I mentioned one context, over there, he's already bringing us into what he's going to focus on, it shouldn't be interpreted as perhaps your first uh, knee-jerk re- uh, explanation, and that is, Vitim Kelohim, God knows you'll be like him. Rather, it's a reference to God knows that you'll be 
Kelohim like ministers, like uh, governors, like important strong beings who are Yodeitovara. Elohim, when we're referring to God in terms of attribute, denotes Deen. The reason it does is because Elohim is strength, and as a result, you associate Deen with strength. When I talk about the word Elohim in general, outside of the association with God, so it's just talking about people or beings of a certain strength. It continues, says Harambam, Once we gave you that introduction, that this name, Elohim, can be used for several different uh, uh, things. Nathila Haviyat HaKushya will begin with the question. Amar HaMakshya, this is what he asked. Mipshuto shel mikra nira shehakavana harishona hayeta shehadam yeh kishar ba'ale hayim beli sechel ubli mahshava velo yavhin betov from the simple reading of the text of the Torah in Bereshit, uh, what it appears to be telling us in Perek Imam, maybe at the end of Perek Bet, is that human beings were created with a deficient knowledge, with a lower level consciousness. Again, this would be directly, uh, not negating, but challenging what we said in Perek Aleph. Uh, in other words, that the word Selim Elohim is a reference to higher level consciousness. He says, but uh, the simple reading is that we didn't have that. Why does he suggest that? Well, he'll help, he'll help us with explaining why he believes that. Ka'asher himra garam lo miryo behechreach et ha-shlemut ha-gdola biyotei la-adam. Vehi shetiye lo havchana zot ha-mesuyabano. He says, after all, they ate from the etz ha-da'at tovara. They achieved knowledge through eating, through miryam, uh, through their, um, their rebelliousness against God. That seems to tell us that prior to the eating, they had less knowledge. Well, that's, that's his reading of it. So again, it's implicitly a challenge on what we suggested until now, that with the creation of Tzelem Elohim, we had higher level consciousness. But more specific for this context, he says, listen, I'm just reading the text, says this questioner to Harambam. The text of the Torah seems to tell me that by eating from this tree, they became smarter. They became more intellectual. It means beforehand, they had less knowledge. After all, the words were, your eyes will open up, and indeed they eat from the tree. Their eyes do open up. Says the questioner to Harambam, here's where the difficulty comes in. After all, that distinction, that intellectual capacity and level is what distinguishes human beings from everything else. That's what gives us our essence, uh, which um, separates us from all other beings and, and life. And as a result, it is quite wondrous. It's startling. That the punishment for rebelling against God is that we achieved brains, knowledge, intellect, consciousness, higher level. It's similar to a person who says, It's like saying a person rebelled against another and rewarded for that he became a star in heavens. Uh, what do you mean? Rebellion should bring you down. It almost paints God as a sadistic God. It paints him almost as if uh, he actually is nervous about human beings uh, paralleling him or coming close to him. Uh, why would God create us with a lower level capacity in terms of intellect? Why is it that rebellion brings that? Zotayeta kavanata kushya umashmauta afkilo hayeta menusehetken 
He says this was the question, effectively, even though it wasn't phrased as such. Shema etochen teshubatenu, says Harambam. Listen carefully to the content of our answer. Amarnu, atah me'ayen bir'ayanot ha'olim rishonim al da'atcha וההחשב שאתה מבין ספר שהוא הנחיה לראשונים ולאחרונים בעבורך עליו באחת משעות הפנאי מן השתייה והמשקל כמי שעובר על ספר מספרי דברי הימים או על שיר מן השירים says הרמב״ם in harsh language uh, for a second we thought he was praising the questioner now his uh, response he says you uh, listen carefully. You think that Torah, you can uh, develop, you can understand a book which was written for Rishonim and Aharonim, a book which is an eternal essence of knowledge and, and existence. You think that sort of book you can just, in your Sha'ot penai, in your free time, actually understand it. You're busy with Mishkal, with sexual activity, with Shetia, with drinking, and you think you could just open this book and ask questions and actually be achieving some sort of understanding while you use it like a Sefer Misifre Divrei Hayamim, like a history book of some sort, or Al Shir Min Hashirim, or some sort of poem. Now, Harambam clearly is, by the way, knocking history and poetry or, or songs of some sort. Uh, does that mean he doesn't appreciate history? Not necessarily. Does it mean he can't find uh, something positive in Shirim? Not necessarily either, but he is giving a broader stroke depiction of people who dedicate their time at the very least singularly or purposefully to those sorts of, call it arts or studies, and say that's, you know, that's, that's lower level, that's soft sciences, you're trying to really understand Torah, that's what you're doing? Bidok. Was it interesting that the translator used the word Shiva? Why? That likens the Torah to Shira, that's what you're saying? It is. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not certain. Not certain what to make of it. Again, I, I think that's what he's talking about. I mean, that's. Bidok bi Yishuv Hadat Bonen says Harambam, look with Yishuv Hadat, with arrested mind, with proper concentration, and really, you know, be sensitive to this. Hare en hadavar kemosha hashavta berayon sheshsatz rishona. This matter was not like your initial thought that which came up to your head first. Rather, when you look into this, when you have the proper bina, when you're able to uh, piece things together, and be mitbonen, that's when you'll truly understand this. The perfect intellect. The higher level, the highest level consciousness, it's quite the opposite. That's what Adam, Hava, that's what humanity had prior to rebellion. And indeed, it's because of that that the Torah says about them, that we were created in Selem Elohim and in his demut, as we talked about in Perekalf. It's for that reason that he has a command, the ability to receive command, uh, the capability to, to live a life of sivui, uh, will only be, says Harambam, without fully explaining, to someone who has true sechel. And so that's, uh, so to speak, his, his beginning to proving to you that's where we were holding before him. 
ושקר, וזה השכל היה מצוי בו שלם וגמור. Give it a minute or two. The question is who the Nahash is. Um, and the question is, you know, the direction of things. You look wonderful. You might bring a homash, just a, a bit of sheet as well, while you're there. Says uh, Harambam, so we began with this Sechel, which does give us the Havhana, the ability to discern between Emet and Sheker. Thank you so much. Uh, he hasn't explained what that means even yet, so you step ahead, Joe. Vi'ilu miguna v'yafe, when you talk about ugly and beautiful, hem min ha-mefursamot ve'lo min ha-muskalot. Those expressions, when you talk about ugly and beautiful, you're talking about mefursamot. I believe the translation is conventional. Maybe it's say subjective. Uh, so he's, so far he's described the difference between the words he described as tov and ra and the words he called emet and sheker. Human beings prior to eating were living a life of emet and sheker. After eating, or rather immediately before eating, the decision is one on behalf of human beings. We'll see those words in a moment to delve into a world of tov and ra. What's a world of tov and ra? Subjective. On the flip side, he'll help us a little bit. Nobody says that the, the world being round is good. We say it's true. That the ground or the land is, is flat. Nobody says it's migune. Nobody says that's ugly. It's bad. Suggests Harambam, he says, listen to again the storyline that we're all familiar with, that we've been alluding to, that we've been talking about. They eat from a tree. The tree represents tovara. It's a dat tovara. That's what they're after, and that's what they achieve. Tov and Ra, subjective truth. You look good tonight. I don't really love your sweater. Um, those are, that's, that's subjective. You love it and you think you look terrible tonight. Um, alternatively, before that, and in contrast, they're living in this world that Hanambam describes as emet and sheker. What's emet and sheker? Absolutes. There's no subjective determinations and descriptions in the minds and words of people. They're living absolutes. They're living in a world where there's yes and no. There's no gray, there's no color in between. The decision to eat, to go against God's word, is effectively, says Harambam, the decision to enter into a world of tovera, which we can call as well a world of process. We can alternatively use, use the word that it's a world of humanity. It's leaving a world of angelic, divine being, and entering into a world of humanity, a life in which subjective conventional truths are what govern Continues Harambam for just a moment more. Kasher haya adam harishon b'matzavo hashalem hagamur biyoter hare cheref teva b'riuto b'riato u'muskalotav asher b'glalam neemar alav v'tehaseo me'at me'elohim lo hayalo b'chlal koach hamiyuad la'asok v'mefursamot. Cites a pasuk from Tehillim that God took just a little bit away from humanity, the initial humanity is his understanding, um, a little bit lower than Elohim, and over here Elohim is godliness, which means you're in a world of absolutes, of true and false, of black and white. In such a tense, in such a world, human beings could not, did not have the power and capability of 
entering into thoughts of subjectivity. It's for that reason that the Torah almost poetically describes that the consequence of eating from the tree is knowledge of irva. What's irva? Nakedness. Which means to say when you talk in human terms, when you talk about how we live subjectively in a world of human beings, we say it's bad to walk around naked. It's inappropriate to expose yourself. Is that a true and false statement? Certainly not. In a world where my mind is to the extent so binary of true and false, I can't appreciate, I can't understand a human conception of that's off bounds to others, that's inappropriate to others. That is the embodiment, the manifestation in the Torah's words of Tovara. That's the shift. So Harambam effectively has described the flip of what this questioner believed. This questioner asks him, well, I don't understand. God, what type of sadistic God do we have? He begins human beings with such a low-level intellect. We need to fight and fight with him in order to achieve more. The response is quite the opposite. We began with divine knowledge. He doesn't say it here, but he will imply the trajectory, the life mission then is to return to somehow that knowledge of emet and sheker. It'll be the embodiment he'll write elsewhere of Torah. That is going to be the essence of truth. That's going to be, in the words of the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, that's where paskazu hamatan, that's where the poison, quote unquote, of the snake was lost when we get the Torah. What, he's, what the Gemara in code words, according to Arambam later, is implying is with Torah you got the direction, you got the vantage point of again entering into emet and sheker. I want to take a moment before we develop this further to just appreciate Pesukim. Uh, certainly, when I was taught this as a child, and on a yearly basis, because they don't remember, my children repeat the story in the following fashion. The most basic way that this story is told, maybe even the most basic way of reading it, potentially, is that by eating from the tree, eating from the fruit of the tree, Adam and Hava sin. That's generally speaking the way that, that this is said. And as a result, there are consequences, or punishments if you want to call it that. If you read the Pesukim in the Torah carefully together with me, Perekim al-Pasuk Vav describes the following. Vatere ha'isha, the woman sees, Kitob ha'etz lema'achal. If you stop over there already, there's a problem. She already sees, as prior to eating, tov in the tree. That's already segueing out of a world of emet and sheker. It means the decision. Uh, we sometimes, for one reason or another, become coarse and artificial and say, it was going against God's word and putting the first. It's not about the fruit in the mouth. There was nothing poisonous, even in the storyline. Forget about in reality. There was nothing in the storyline poisonous about this. It was rather the world within which they lived and the parallel world that they determined they wanted to live in. Uh, to give you a, a, a unscientific an, a analog for a moment, if we lived, it's not fully scientific because it's not at all taking into account um, uh, genetic predispositions, but if we lived life in terms of our health as a lives of emet and sheker, what I mean by that is we were somehow knowledgeable with regards to what it means to be healthy. And we actually had the information, not that it was developing, but we had the information full of, and with enough that we have today, 
I'll say it anyway. So not taking genetic predispositions into account or taking them a little bit into account and uh, maybe even uh, uh, supplementing even more with regards to our health, we could and would live much longer lives as on average than we do. So then why don't we? The answer is because we live in a world in which we are driven by not emet and sheker all that much, but rather by tov and ra. We'd like to eat more than we should. We'd like to eat foods that we know we shouldn't. We'd like to perhaps exercise less, involve ourselves in activities that will take away from our energy more. We are drawn by lust, desire, human drives, that then, by the way, is the storyline in Bereshit as well. The storyline is, on the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. But they don't surely die. But guess what does happen? They do then have a more finite life. Lifespan is shortened. The more you move away from emet and sheker, in every sense of the word, the more you move away from life. Sometimes literal life with regards to living, breathing, having a heart that's beating, and sometimes with regards to proper understanding. The decision that we make consciously or just by being to go after Tov and Ra takes away life. The storyline then is so true. Uh, forget about who it was and how it was done. It's so true. Describes immediately where, quote, she goes off track. But the pasuk doesn't stop. It's also pleasing to the eyes. Pleasing to the eyes is, by definition, another description of Tov and Ra. Pleasing to the eyes means it looks good to me. Nobody says, you look truthful tonight. People do say, you look good tonight. Nobody says, you look false. You're looking false now. People say, you don't look great right now. And we say to ourselves as well. The description of before eating, I'll go a step further. The words vatere ha'isha kitob in and of themselves, if you're sensitive to the words in Bereshit, in the first three chapters, the first chapter specifically, vayar Elohim kitob are words that are repeated time and again, meaning something altogether different, but the parallel is striking. Vatere ha'isha kitob, she takes the place in this moment of God activity. The rebellion against God is the decision to determine it on my terms as opposed to his. That's already, that's it. So it's not about fruit or, 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 or wheat, or whichever one of the four opinions you're going to accept with regards to, or, or another one, with regards to what this fruit or tree was. It's rather about the decision, the purposeful decision that Adam and Hava make in the story that Harambam and the Torah are portraying for us or painting for us. Yes, Richie. It's on the day you decide to eat from it. Yes. Yeah. Correct. On the day that you eat. Okay. Let's let's do it like this because until something I hear you. Point taken. Uh, um, good, better question than I'm going to answer. Um, maybe. Maybe when you struggle with feelings before you manifest them in action, so there's still the opportunity to turn back. Once you enveloped yeah. yourself in that world, maybe something along those lines, but point taken. Uh, do, do remember those are the words of the Nahash, uh, but, but, but point nonetheless taken. I will tell you furthermore, the rabbis I think were in tune or potentially in tune with su- or attuned with such a message. You see, they have this funny description in which prior to even the decision to eat, 
they blame, Ad- Rashi does, Adam and Hava. What's the blame? Well, the Nahash picks up, says Rashi, on the words of Hava. Hava's words are, Vatomer, where are the words? Vatomer ishala Nahash, umi priya etz pasuk gimal, priya etz asher betoch agal amari, lim lo tochlum, menu velo tigeubo pentemutun. She expresses when I let it touch it. Who said you're not allowed to touch it? We didn't see that in Perik Bet, in the command. We didn't see it in Perik Gimel. We didn't see that anywhere. Where's, where, where, where is there such a command? Don't touch it. Says Rashi, they made a gezerah for themselves. Says Rashi, furthermore, you know what happened? Then a hash that, what do I mean by gezerah for themselves? God said, don't eat from it. They said, no, we're not going to eat and we're not going to touch. God, the Nahash comes along and in the storyline of the rabbis, pushes her onto the tree. Says, oh, you see, you're still alive. The same way you're still alive, by touching it, you'll still be alive by eating from it. And that's what lures her. That's what tempts her. Right, right. It seems like- just give me one second. Let me just finish the thought on this. Yeah. So, says Rashi, what do you mean? I mean, it's not looking good for the rabbis here, right? Gezerot are bad. Rashi does say, if you make gezerot, it's not good. That's what he says. So, Rashi was, was, was well aware of rabbinic gezerot. Uh, more than that, more than more than gezerot, the inability to distinguish between who I am, the decisions I make, and the decisions he made, truth and emet and sheker, what I do as a human being and built as a gezerah, when I enmesh the two, when I say, well, this is what's asur. Why is that asur? But without realizing this is a rabbinic violation or the reason and rationale for this violation that we established, you effectively, you effectively have intermingled tov and ra, your human propensities, dealings with emet and sheker, gods, those of truth. The description then is prior to even looking at it, the rabbis, I think, are hinting, they messed the whole thing up. What are you doing? At the very least, realize what you're doing. You injected your will onto his. Of course it's coming then, Of course, that's the next stage. The second I listen to you and I determine that my words are your words, well, then there's no distinction between me and you. And your, 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 your essence of truth, I, I can't appreciate in my life, which I'm developing and jumping into of Tov and I. Yes, Abi. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so I'm say, it seems like there's this aspect of Tovarah inherent from the beginning. Okay, so, so like, what's new? gotcha. Richie asked this last week, as a matter of fact, when we like kind of just start, we were on the tip of the iceberg. We're still not even done with the Pedic, but I'll take the time for that now. It's a point that needs to be discussed, developed, and understood somewhat, I can tell you. There is, as I'm going to put it in different words, there is a major paradox here in the words of Harambam, maybe in the description of the Torah, maybe you don't have another way of reading this, call it in the Torah. The paradox is as follows. If you're accepting that human beings were created with Telem Elohim, which means to say, as Harambam is describing it, a higher level consciousness, how is it possible then that they jumped out of that to rebel, to get into a world of Tov and Ra? You might recall I even raised my voice when I read these words, the third line, second line from the top, that's two words before the end. Lo haya lo bichlal The words of Rambam were at that point in time, call it the beginning of humanity, when we're on this higher level capacity in terms of intellect, we didn't have the power, the energy to go after Mefur Samot, to go after subjective determinations. Then how did they rebel? How was that possible? What's that? Because there's a C point. That opens it up. 
Neither do I, but many do. To say something that can't be. But if God's going to say, okay, here's your choice. You can eat or not, don't eat from this tree. That's the only thing you can't do. Don't eat okay. So I get what you're saying, and I'm going to use different words for it even now, and then I'm going to develop it in even different, more different words. As I understand what, what Ralph is saying, is the fact that there is a stated sivui, the fact that there's a command, means that this isn't just the essence of a human being. He suggests, I'm, I'm using these yeah, words, but hang I know, <laughs> give me a second. It means that by definite, if I tell you to do something as opposed to programming you to do it, it means you have a behira hofshit. It means you have the capability of deciding otherwise. And you're saying, and it's beautiful, that that is, you did. You're saying that's what's hinted at in having a command. If it was just inborn, if we were robotic in the real sense, if we were angelic and programmed in our minds just to do emet and sheker, there wouldn't be a tzivui. The fact that the text, that the Torah describes it as a command from God means there's a possibility, albeit not so much power to get there, but there's a possibility to transgress, to decide to do otherwise. Correct. Yes, Amy. Does that seem to be a because you explain to yourself that it's just also good, but it's really a lust for Lust is a better word. Sure, Tav. So, so what Abi says is we're describing over here, when we use the words tov and ra, he doesn't want me just to say good and bad, I don't want to say desire, lust, what I want to do. That's what we're describing. And it's going further, but it's the same point. It means that is endemic to the human personality. You can say that. You can say that. And we all know in our own lives, I think, People who, at the very least, uh, I can't get into anyone's mind or heart or being, but I can tell you there are people whom I know them, have spoken to them, discussed with them, their lives are quote-unquote easier with regards to deciding emet and sheker as opposed to struggle with tov and ra. Those people are either genetically or they got there, whatever the description is, their lives are governed in an easier way with regards to choosing right than another person that I know. So the description then of this, and this is a point that, that uh, Nefesh Ahayim of all people make, and, and, and several others, Harambam might allude to this later on, is the fact that, and this gets to what Joe was asking a little bit earlier, that this comes from the Nahash. And the Nahash, Harambam will quote the Gemara from Bava Batra later on and elsewhere in the book, that the Nahash is the Satan, is the Yeser Hara. We oftentimes quote this from Sforno, who writes this explicitly. And so the Nahash then, in the eyes of Harambam, certainly Sforno, Harambam seems to say it explicitly as well, was not per se a walking, talking snake, but it was more an inner consciousness. Then why describe it as a Nahash? Suggestion of someone like Nefesh Ahayim and Nesha'ara Aleph is because that's external which means to say the drive, the lust, the human personality was extra. It's not that it wasn't existent, it's that they were the types of people who were generally speaking, give statistics, 80%, 90% of their essence, of their mind, of their tendencies would be purpose to emet and sheker, 
10% because they were human beings, because they were made of flesh, because their minds were minds not of angels, not of robots, did have an external drive, which they ultimately, speaking, succumbed to or decided to go along with. Now, you might ask further, you might say, well, uh, why would or how would God create this at the onset? What type of world is this? I would tell you, if you're sensitive to the description of creation in Perek Aleph, you'll already notice, I'll use, uh, I'll use a, a provocative word now, I'll say that they were destined to be there, but even if we don't use that word, uh, we'll suggest that there was potential to be in a world of Toven Ra. And what I mean by Toven Ra is, again, a world of not only lost, but a world of humanity. What do I mean by a world of humanity as a world as opposed to a world of divinity? I mean a world which has process. I mean a world in which there's time to develop, to determine and to seek. That's this world of Tov and Ra. I think you can't read chapter one, Perik Alpha Bereshit, without noticing this. I'm going to give just a few examples. One example is in Perik Bet. I'll, I'll bring you to Perik Bet beforehand. In Perik Bet, the Torah on page 10 here in this Humash, the Torah describes in Pasuk one of my favorite Pesukim in the entire Torah, but the Pasuk effectively says, there's debate about how to read this, we're going to read it through the prism of Rashi for now, which is not far from the most simple interpretation, without there being a human being in the world, without rain for the human being, there has not yet been growth. Growth of what? Esef Hasadeh, Siyah Hasadeh, sorry, Siyah Hasadeh, growth in the field, trees and shrubbery and so forth. Where was it? I thought it was already created on day three. Eyes, you have to be, have to be creative, says Rashi, it was hovering below the ground at this point. It's there in potential. That's an interesting description. I said, that's the world outside of the garden. Fast forward. Make your way into the garden. Just a few verses later. Pasuk Het. Vayita Adonai Elohim gan be'edem mikedem vayasem sham et ha'adam asher yasar vayasmach Adonai Elohim in ha'adamah kol etz nechmad lamarev etov lamachal. What did God bring forth in the garden? Sounds like without any rain. Sounds like before human beings were there. Trees. Because the garden, there's no process. The garden you don't need human beings in, per se. The garden is. Emet and Sheker is. Emet and Sheker is, you want to use the word Dean? It's Dean. Emet and Sheker is, is reality. There's no getting to it. There's no struggle. There's no searching. There's no seeking. There's, there's a dispute about this matter. Oh, last 10 minutes last week. There's a dispute amongst the Mefarshim about this matter. Peshat in the Pesukim is that they're born outside. Rashi, for one reason or another, suggests that they were actually born in. There's lots to be discussed and developed there. Peshat and Pesukima, they're out, which makes a lot of sense. If they're out, certainly from Harambam's perspective, yes, John. So the fact that Hashem mentions the word Tov in creation, is that you were saying that he's already introducing the concept? Maybe. Maybe. That might be another equivocal word. Tov might be complete as opposed to Tov Imra. It might be, though. It might. I mean, I'll, give you a, and, and I'll give you a few other examples. I'll give you a few other examples. There's a well-known midrash. I don't need the midrash right now. I need the pasuk. The pasuk says 
that on day three, God turns to the, to the field, and he says words to it, of course, right, or the future field. And Pasuk says that, and just being sensitive to the Pesukim, um, what, what does the Pasuk say over here? The Pasuk says, hmm, where am I? I? I know, I know, I'm trying to, give me a second. Here we are. Uh, Pasuk says that God turns, zera. He says there should be grass. There should be all types of grass. And then he says, "It's piri, ose piri limino," and the trees should be able to be ose piri limino means according to its species. Apple trees should grow apples, orange trees should grow oranges. Of course, you can't imagine anything different because we live in a world in which this is reality. But he never said that word with regards to the seeds of the grass. The seeds of the grass, is, grass should grow. It means if you have one species of grass and then you take it and plant it again, technically speaking, if we're sensitive to the words, he never said limino, limineu. Vatosehar, it's pasuk And then the ground brings forth deshe, esef mazria zera, limineu. The ground, the grass comes up according to its species. Which means, say, if you pull up one, you're going to plant it, that's what's going to come forth. Says Rashi, because the grass learned to kalvahomer, the grass determined. Well, if God says to the trees, it means it for us as well. What's that description? Well, first and foremost, with the lowercase, it's evolution. It's a description of God says this, and this is what comes about. But more than anything, you don't even need to use that word. It's process. This is a description of allowing for the world to develop. In a gan mikedem, there is no development. It is. That means that creation very much lends itself in the reading to process. Leon Cass in his book points out as well, in his book on Bereshit, he says as well, he says, what's with this word erev? God creates on, uh, the Torah says on day one, uh, light and darkness. And he gives them names. Laila, Yom. And conclusion. One second. We're taking it very literally. I want to. You created light and you called it Yom. You created night and you called it light, excuse me, darkness, you called it Laila. What's Erev? Erev is Milashon Iruv, means mixture, means evening. Where did evening come from? Who created evening? That's another one of these, the Torah kind of hinting to you, there's development here, there's process. God didn't just create and then allow for that and only that. There's something that's taking place outside of human existence. Of course, it's, it's developing and getting it ready for human existence. Ralph is going to take us a step further, I think. Ralph is going to take us to another well-known midrash, a favorite midrash, right? The midrash says that being sensitive to the words, God commands the trees. The trees should be an etz piri or se piri. The trees' bark should taste like the fruits. What comes forth, etz or se piri. The bark doesn't have taste. The fruits do have taste. Many Jewish thinkers give the following interpretation. The latest, to my knowledge, is Rav Kook. He suggests that if you think about a tree and you think about its fruits, what you're talking about is process and outcome. The bark, the leaves, and everything that goes into it is process. The fruit is the outcome. That's effectively, you might get, you know, you might get uh, beneficial dividends on the side that you got shade and stuff like that, but the point of the tree is to get fruits. That's what you look at say it's a fruit tree. What's the description? The description is God says, effectively, this tree should taste and be entirely, no process, outcome. The bark should taste like the fruit. What happens, quote unquote? A rebellion of the ground, again, quote unquote, but effectively the birth of process. Last point on that, and, and then, I, then I bring it to a full circle. Last point on that is in the garden, the storyline. Take it or leave it on this diuk. It's, it's Nitziv's diuk, but it's, it's, 
if he's right, if he has this, I think there's, there's another midrash that seems to suggest this as well, then it's very telling. The pasuk says that what they do with this tree, well, listen to, listen to what the pasuk describes. Uh, the, the woman, uh, looking at the tree, decides, vatere ha'isha, pasuk vav, kitob ha'et lema'achal. What does she see? Tree? See? She sees that the tree looks good to taste. The tree looks good to taste. I thought the ground rebelled. I thought the trees don't have that good taste, according to our midrash. I, unless, in the garden, there is no process. But their will, as human beings, as sentient beings who have desires, lust, and the passion to live life of process, they want out. So the decision, and so on and so forth, is, is a description of who we are as human beings. This garden is not a human domain. This gan and mikedem is not a place that we could, as sentient, desirous, lustful, natural human beings, could live. In truth, one step further, whether this is something Harambam would give his stamp of approval to or not, I can't say for certain. But I could tell you that someone like Ramchal, Bimoshe Chaim Losato, would say, we're not just describing something here. We're describing, effectively, a purposeful situation which is necessary for us as human beings. Life as human beings is a life in which, if you were to put our endeavor in this world into a word, it's shelemut. We're searching for completeness. Why are we searching for completeness? Because we want to be like God. What better word to describe God than the unity and oneness and completeness of God? How do you become complete? This is very Maimonidean, what I'm about to say. To be complete means to be independently complete. It means it wasn't bequeathed to you. It means you didn't inherit it. It means you didn't have something beforehand. You achieved it on your own. Uh, that's, that, that is the, why do we want to be like God? That's what it's about. Imitatio Dei, Tem Ke Elohim, that's our interest. We want to be, well, not that Elohim, but we want to be like God. The description then in turn is a life in which we live where we want to achieve. How would we achieve if there was no process? How could we achieve if there was no tzivui to grapple with? How could we be beings who were achieving completeness if we were born into a world which had no process, gave us no opportunity to develop ourselves. That's, in my mind, what it's about with regards to this whole chapter and this whole description. We're describing not only a story, not only a description of a human being or a human capacity, but a description of human life as it is and as it should be. Lastly, and then really last point from the, from, from, uh, from the more. lastly, so what then do they develop for themselves? We no longer have nahash. We no longer have external drives. Uh, our lusts and desires are no longer something that we, uh, you know, is, 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 is distant from us and just, uh, you know, we have to really want it in order to get it. It's now part and parcel with who we are. In truth, Nefesh Hayim there as well suggests, uh, and Kabbalistically speaking, he says the decision to eat, or we'll say the eating, whatever you want to say, is a circumstance wherein human beings mix. What does mix mean? It means we mix emet and shaker, which we still have the capacity to tap into. We still have rational thought. We still have higher level thought. We're still the ones who can be commanded as opposed to animals. But we live now in a world in which that's not 
our only identity with a little bit on the side. Our identity is dual. We have an identity of both emet and sheke and tov and ra. It's as a result, after eating from the tree, everything that's described with regards to consequence is mixture. You're no longer just going to find clean produce in the field. There's going to be process. There's going to be mixture of thorns and thistles in anything that you're going to. It's all about mixture now. It's tov and ra together with emet and sheke. Furthermore, childbirth. Furthermore, there's now endeavor and effort and difficulty. That's what you asked for. You're, not, no, you're, you're still marching toward truth, but now it's a life in which there's a mixture, the life that you determined you wanted. I bring you back to the Pasuk that Harambam began the Perik with. The Nahash turns to Hava. He says to her, God knows, on the day they eat from this, Rambam side, it says, what's Elohim? Important people, ministers, governors, just as, as a vantage point for a moment. Imagine, uh, I, the, the way I would say it to students is different than I'd say, I'll do it the way I would do it with students. Imagine you're in the classroom with the teacher when you were a student, uh, in the traditional sense, and you acted out of line a bit. I don't know, the teacher said, don't pass, don't, pass, don't text, and you texted. That's it. You're thrown out of the school because you went against, the, come on. I, I, broke, I broke the rule for a second. That's, that, is that the rule? Isn't that the rule? Oh, it's integrity violation. Done, finished, out. That's an emet and sheker domain. If the leaders in any human or social network or fabric that we have are governed by emet and sheker, we have no human communities, we have no human communication, we need flexibility. We need to imagine the governor, I don't need political jokes now, I don't know, imagine the president, uh, imagine the prime minister, I'll take us out of America, imagine the prime minister of America, all right, is deciding, I just to make it apolitical, is deciding based on truth and false. There is little to no room for actual growth amongst the human beings. We need to appeal to the lust, desires, and tendencies of human beings. You won't be successful if you think otherwise, and you won't be successful in this world if you believe as a leader, even as a follower, but certainly as a leader. So the statement then of the Nahash to Hava, which appeals to her, is God knows that when you eat from this, or rather when you decide to eat from this, when you determine that you're going to govern and you're going to live a life of humanity, well, you'll then be in a world of Tov and Ra. You'll necessarily be in a world of Tov and Ra. I'll conclude in this respect with the Gemara that we learned some time ago in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daftza Design. It's a favorite as well. As a matter of fact, Professor Jeffrey Rubenstein, as I mentioned, has a book called The Land of Truth based on that Gemara. It's a Gemara and Daftza Design, Masechet Sanhedrin. The Gemara says that Rav Toveh ve'amrela Rav Tav Rabbi Good, and some say Rabbi Good Day said the following. Meresha, initially, Amina, I used to say, Leka kushta be'alma. There's no truth in this world. He says, until I endeavored upon Atina, something like that, Le'ara, to a world, to a land whose name was kushta, truth. It's an amazing description already. I used to think there's no truth until I came to a land where there was truth. What they do in the land of truth? They never told lies. You gotta watch this movie. True and false, do I? You mentioned a line. So maybe they got it from the Gemara. The last, when I l- learned this Gemara during the summer, I think someone said that in the middle. I still haven't seen it. Anyways, uh, 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 so here it is. There's no lying over here. Says the Gemara further, I had, Rav Tav Yomeh says, two sons. Oh, come on. He's literally building for us Gan Eden, right? Two sons. 
and my wife, and we lived in this world. Oh, and everyone who lived in this land, land never died manam, never died at the inappropriate, uh, surprising time. They lived out their lives entirely. One day, he says, someone came to the door and knocked on the door and asked where my wife was, but she was busy showering, she was busy fixing her hair. I thought it was uh, not orah ara, not the way of the land, not derech eres, to answer um, uh, truthfully. So I lied, I said, she's not home right now. Immediately, my two sons died. The people of the town, of the land, came to me and said, what's going on over here? Please get out of here, you lied, you don't belong with us. That's the Midrash. It's such a telling Midrash. It's literally the description of who we are and who we can't be. If you think you're going to live in this world and live a life of emet and sheker, if you think you're living in the Gan, if you think that you can be a governor in this world and live it and govern it by absolutes, well, you're deluding yourself you, by definition, will have to, sometimes, the Gemara says, white lie. You'll sometimes need to appeal to people. You'll sometimes need to go after the tendencies and the social fabric of the time. That's the definition of the world we live in. So the decision of Adam and Havadan, as much as we've been conditioned to see it as a tragic decision, a sinful beginning of humanity is also, if we're to understand who we are, if we're to understand human beings, is a reality. It's a reality that we couldn't have avoided. And that was the provocative word I used earlier, that it was a necessary outcome. But Harambam then reminds us nonetheless at the onset of Moreh Nebuchim, as much as you live in this world, as much as you govern lives which are a mixture of Tov and Ra and Emet and Sheikh, as much as the lust and desires and tendencies and, and subjective determinations are part of who you are and need to be. Uh, to decide and to realize at the same time that your essence is a Tzelem Elohim, that the essence of every human being is a higher level consciousness, that you could have Tzivui because you are that, well, that's necessary in and of itself. To decide that that's my direction, where am I headed, who am I going to be? I'm going to be a person who's striving for truth, for Emet and Sheker. Well, that's very much the mission of human beings. So to delude yourself and say, I can just live in that world, I'm in the garden, uh, no such reality to alternatively say, well, I'm, well, I'm here, I may as well eat, drink, and uh, have sexual relations, as he, then, as he put down that me'ayen uh, at the beginning, the questioner Harambam did, if that's your alternative vision. And by the way, I'm, in my free time, I'll open this book of Emet and Sheikh, I bring you back to his, his statement at the beginning, well, you'll be making a mistake as well. You're a Tzelem Elohim. And by definition, being a Tzelem Elohim means dedicating yourself to that pursuit of Emet and Sheikh, which was within your capacity. Baruch Amen ve Amen.